You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. So what I love about James and why I thought it was a good one to look at was because James is a practical book. The book of James doesn't use a lot of big theological language. It's not the philosophical treatise that some of the other books are like Romans. It's one of those books that tells us this is what it means to be a Christian. Do this, not this. And quite honestly, sometimes it's helpful for me just to know this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do less of. And in doing these things, I can live my faith for Jesus in the world. And so James talks about how small things can have great impacts in our life. And when I think about small things having great impacts, what I, what I think about uh, is when I was growing up, I grew up in Virginia, and one of the things I learned the further south that I moved from Virginia down to Georgia and then down to Florida is the further south you go, the larger the bugs get. Right? Like, I have never seen a cockroach the size of what I've seen until I came to Georgia and Florida. And a palmetto bug, I think, is a more generous name. Right? But, but we didn't have those things that size in Virginia. But, so what we did have growing up in Virginia were crickets. And at least a couple of times a year, you'd be laying down, and the rest of the house would be quiet. I was in my room, my sister in hers, my parents in theirs. It was dark. It was quiet. You're ready for bed. And then you'd hear the little, chirp, 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 chirp. And what you knew was somehow a cricket had gotten into the wall of the house. And this was a two-story house, so it's a, it's a mystery to me how a cricket gets into a second-story wall. And over time, we learned that there was nothing you were going to do about this. My family at times would try to search and try and find the cricket, but that was a waste of time because the cricket was just going to continue singing its song while you tried to go to sleep, and everyone would see the effects of it as we tried to gather at the breakfast table the next morning because, quite frankly, no one slept. And your, my prayer, our prayer in those moments was simply that that cricket would gracefully find its way out or into the next life before the next night, right? Because there's nothing we're going to do. It's a reminder to me when I think about that and as I read the book of James, how small things can have significant impacts. A cricket in a wall, the tiniest little pebble in your shoe. These are the things that seem mundane and like nothing, but a small nail in a tire can change the entire course of our day, can change what we plan to spend that money on, and can create all kinds of havoc in our life. Can I get an amen on that one? All right, yeah. Small things can have big impacts. And that's what James talks about as we look at our scripture. And so this morning, we're going to look at the third chapter of James. So if you would like to follow along, you're welcome to do that. We post um, today at citrus.org. You can find the scripture and you can follow along. Uh, but we'll begin in the second verse. We all make mistakes often. You could turn to your neighbor and say, you all make mistakes often. But those who don't make mistakes make their, with their words have reached full maturity. Like bridled horses, they can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and we put bits in their mouths and lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Consider ships. They are large and strong. They are so large that strong winds are needed to drive them. But pilots can direct the ships wherever they want with a small rudder. 
James is painting these word pictures for us, these little snapshots. The first two are positive ones. Horses, large, powerful, majestic, beautiful animals that can be controlled just with a small bit in their mouth. The second example he gives are ships, which are these giant steel mammoths. And and even back in the time of writing, would have been much smaller, but still were giant pieces of equipment made out of wood. And they were so big that you can imagine, how does this little thing move it? But he says, something so big is controlled by a small rudder. And so what James is telling us with these two pictures is that big things are controlled oftentimes by small things. So we're putting together some pieces in this puzzle. Uh, He goes on to say, In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. Think about this. A small flame can set the whole forest on fire. The tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work among us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. James is not pulling any punches as he moves on to talk about how small things can make big things go wrong. The first image he uses is the tongue, and he talks about it related to speech, and he tells us that the tongue, of course, is a small part of our body, but makes these great boasts about what the rest of our body can or maybe can't do. It's a way of saying that with our little tongue, we're able to brag about all the things that we do. Uh, The second image he gives to us is this image of the forest fire, and it brings me back to when I was a kid, and and Smokey the Bear used to come on my TV. And I'm sure that you can still remember the same steps, too, for how to put out a campfire, right? First thing you do is you pour water, and then what do you do? That's right, you stir, but how many times? I think it was twice. It could have been. We might need to rewatch this, but then you pour water and stir again. You check for heat, right? Because Smokey the Bear was teaching us that it only takes one small spark from that little fire to set an entire forest on fire. We know it's more complex than that, but what James is telling us and what Smokey was telling us was that it only takes a little bit to make a giant negative difference. So he's showing us how on one hand, small things can have big impacts for the positive, and on the other hand, how small things when used negatively, can have large negative impacts. And he's trying to go with us on both sides of this. So as we continue on, James frames the problem for us this way. People can tame and already have tamed every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish. I think the Internet is a great example for us of how people have tamed all kinds of birds, reptiles, animals, and fishes. People spend, I'm not saying I've ever done this, but people spend lots of hours watching cat videos and videos of animals who've been tamed or trained to do this or that. I've never done that, but others, maybe some people you know have. So as then as now, we're reminded that people have the ability to to train and tame all of these wild things in God's creation. And yet, no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. He tells us why as we continue. He says, With it we both bless the Lord, our Father, and we curse human beings made in God's likeness. 
blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it just shouldn't be this way. Both fresh water and salt water don't come from the same spring, do they? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. And fresh water doesn't flow from a salt water spring either. You see, James isn't dealing in the deep depths of the faith that take study and ivory towers to figure out. He's talking about basic core things for us as followers of Jesus. And a lot of people will offer the book of James as a great place to start if someone is new to the faith. But I also think this is a great place to begin for those of us who perhaps have been in the faith for a while. Because it's a reminder of these are the places where we can have the most impact for positive or for negative. And I think that one of our greatest flaws is found here in James. And it's reminded to me by some wise advice that I once received. And someone once told me that if you sit and say nothing, people might think that you are wise and contemplative and thoughtful. If you open your mouth and speak, then you might be revealed as someone who really knows nothing. So I run this risk every Sunday morning as I stand up and talk instead of being contemplative. But it reminds us that we're able with our words to start an entire forest fire. That it only takes one misspoken thought, one careless tweet, one unthoughtful post to start an entire forest or person's life on fire. And we think maybe this is just for us as adults about how we speak and how we act, but I'm sure that if we talk to the teens in the, ro- in the room, the middle schoolers, the elementary school students, the high schoolers, we know that it only takes one careless word about someone else, one careless idea or thought, and all of a sudden we've put them in a place where they're being bullied. Right? So it's across the age spectrum where we think about how the small, seemingly insignificant words and phrases that we use can completely disrupt people's lives. So words, in my mind, are like toothpaste. That Once they come out, it's hard to get them back. And the moment that they leave our mouth, for better or for worse, they begin to have an effect on those who are around us. And James reminds us that we are like a source of water. And if any of the word pictures make the most sense to us so far, I think this is the one that could connect with us the best. Because, as those who are in Florida, whether we're Floridians or not, we have a good understanding of springs. But we understand that underneath our feet, somewhere down there, is the giant aquifer, which gives us the source of fresh water that we as Floridians love and cherish. Uh, It gives us beautiful places like Wakiwa Springs. It gives us all the natural springs that we can enjoy and play in Florida. And so because of this, we don't have to live here long to know that the aquifer is filled by the water that's underneath. And so I think this part of this makes the most sense to us if we're going to understand how to live this passage. This idea can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. So just by a show of hands, who has been to Wakiva Springs? Who's been to Wakiva Springs? Who knows the difference? Google that one later. What's the difference between Wakiva with a W and Wakiva? It's the same thing, but they're different, right? Uh, Apparently a developer named one and uh, the Indian tribe named Wakiwa. So apparently the W is more right, so the more you know. Uh, But so if you were to go to Wakiwa Springs, it's this beautiful swimming hole. If you haven't been, the pool itself is about 100 
feet wide. The water in there, because it's fed from this underground source, is a constant 72 degrees, which at times can feel pretty chilly. At other times can be completely refreshing. Uh, but you can stand anywhere in the pool that you like, and pretty much everywhere all around is about five feet. The spring is fed by a small 35-foot crack in the middle, and that's where the water comes out. So think about that. Keep that number in mind. 35 feet is the size of the crack that feeds that spring. Now, this is not a big spring. It's, it's been opened up so people can use it well. But if you have been or seen Lake Eola in downtown Orlando, you know that Wakiwa Springs doesn't hold much of a candle to Lake Eola in terms of size, right? What was amazing to me is out of this one spring, out of that 35-foot crack, flow 45 million gallons of water every single day. 45 million gallons of water every single day. So you think of the size of Lake Eola, and just the water that flows from this one spring could fill Lake Eola in two days' time. Like, that is amazing to me. That number for me is, is just simply hard to comprehend and to understand. But from this little spring flows a spring and then a river that supports the ecosystem, the animals, the plants, the tourism, the ecotourism, the canoeing, the kayaking, the entire life that's there. Much of the community residential that is around there is in some way connected, for better or for worse, to that spring. And so when James talks to us about the power of a spring, we think about the tiny little crack, 35 feet, the water that comes out, and we begin to see the multiplication factor of how that impact can impact an entire community. All of this from a crack no more than 35 feet wide. But the water in the spring are only as good as the source. And if you've been to any of these springs, you've probably received the same kind of educational lecture that I have. That what happens with these springs is that contaminants from our yards and runoff from our yards seeps into the groundwater, into the aquifer, and begins to pollute the aquifer down below. Uh, we went to Wikiwachi a few weeks ago, where the mermaids live. Uh, and if you haven't been there, you need to go. Uh, and they told us that the water that comes out at theirs is 90% pure to drink. The problem is, is from the runoff and from the fertilizers and pesticides and all those things, it's contaminated the aquifer. And so it means that the water that's down deep has been contaminated, and that water is coming up into the spring, contaminating the spring. It's flowing downstream and contaminating the rest of the way. And it impacts all the populations of animals and people and ecosystems down the stream. And so I don't know what their aquifer system looked like when, when James wrote in his times, but we can certainly understand how if we were simply to address the problem on the surface— and if we were to say, all right, we're going to clean up the spring at the surface level where we can see it, we're not going to make much difference, are we? We'll make an impact, and it helps. But the real issue is getting at what's happening down in the core, down in the aquifer, down in the roots. And this is why James tells us what matters is not as much about what's coming out, but what matters is what's inside. Because we can fix what our tongue says. We can think before we speak. We can change the language that we use. Right? We can do a couple things externally, but what matters is what is in our heart and in our mind and in our thoughts and in our life. 
And so James, as seemingly simple as he is, is inviting us to a very difficult work to think about what's coming out and to realize that that's coming from a deep place within us. And so rather than this morning, then, then, then shame us all for the things that we say or the times we drop something on our toe and we say a, a little more colorful word than we might use in church on a Sunday morning, right? Rather than shame us for that or try to get us to talk differently, what I want to invite us to do is a harder work. I want to invite you to ask yourself the question, how do I give God more space to work in the deep aquifer of my life? How can you and I give God the space to work in the deep aquifers of our life, to deal with the issues and the hurt and the resentment and the pain that we feel in this place, and allow God to heal and transform that in such a way where what is happening in here is God's healing and restoration and redemption, and that will naturally begin to flow out from the top. We'll probably still cuss from time to time. It's going to happen. But eventually we're going to see that God's goodness is at work inside of us and it's continuing to flow out. And I see it in you all. I see it in your interactions and in our interactions together. James wants us to remember that our speech is an indicator of what we believe. And with the same mouth, we're able to glorify God on a Sunday morning and share not-so-nice words with the drivers that we see on the road next to us or with that coworker, or sometimes even with those that we love the most. And he tells us it just simply shouldn't be this way. So this morning, as we think about how we begin to do this, I want to remind us of the examples that, that James used. When we think about how the horse is moved, the horse is moved not by the bit in the horse's mouth, but by the rider who moves and directs the bit. The ship is turned by the small rudder at the back, but it's the captain who steers the rudder. And in the same way, we as the church are the bit and the rudder. We are the small, seemingly insignificant things of this world. But when we are controlled and led by the Holy Spirit, we as this small, maybe seemingly insignificant church or as a community of churches are able to impact the world in big and powerful and positive ways. We've all seen examples of when the church has used its words to bless. And unfortunately, we've all seen examples of when the church has used its words and influence to curse. And to demonize particular people or groups or institutions. And so as individuals and as a church, we realize we have the opportunity to use this small little thing as a blessing or as a curse. And so as I got to thinking of what that might look like uh, this week, some of you know that one of my frustrations, or, or one of my, let me put it this way first. One of the things that I love the most about this community is the diversity. I love that on any given day, I can interact simply in our Horizon West community, and I can hear any number of different languages spoken around me or even to me. And to me, that is exciting because it reminds me of how this has become a place where people from all over the state, the country, and the world have chosen to plant roots for their life. Uh, so at any given time, I hear different languages all around me. I hear it as I go out. I'm sure that you do too. And one of my greatest frustrations is that when we show up on a Sunday morning, the language that we use is just English on a Sunday morning up front. And that's frustrating to me mostly because that's the only language that I speak. I've never asked, do you speak any other languages? No? Okay. 
if you Jared plays like every instrument under the sun, but he won't tell you that. So I found out that he plays a lot of other instruments too. So I didn't know. You're a surprise. You're an enigma. But uh, one of the things that's frustrated me is how we tend to only have one language on a Sunday morning. And, and I've expressed to a couple of you how I wish that we could be more inclusive or engaging of other languages. A few weeks back on Pentecost, we had um, some, some uh, two students come down and read the scripture in both Portuguese and Spanish and in English. And it was a reminder to us that when the Holy Spirit came after Christ was raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven, that the Holy Spirit came and gave a gift of languages to the people who were gathered that day. And they didn't speak in these unknown languages. All of a sudden, this group of disciples began speaking in a whole bunch of different foreign languages, and they were all the languages of the communities and the countries that surrounded them. And so the people who were there in town visiting were like, hey, wait a minute, they're not speaking Aramaic. That's my home language. And I believe the reason that God did that was so that people from throughout the world could hear the good news of the gospel in their own language and could take it back home and share that in their native language with their friends and their neighbors. And so it wasn't me telling you about God's work in my language when you speak something different. It's me telling you about that in our own language. And we talked about how that allows people to light up and allows the gospel to take roots in fresh ways. Uh, if you want to follow that sermon, it's there on our podcast, uh, and it's the one about uh, tongues. So, ironically, we're talking about tongues again today. Um, so I was actually sharing that frustration uh, with one of our regulars in our church, David, and he gave me a suggestion, and, and I thought it was the perfect way to begin to make a journey towards allowing our tongues to be a blessing in ways that match our community. One of the things that he suggested was that uh, we think about the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, is something that is relatively universal. It's a prayer that is used throughout the entire world. It's translated into every language. It's a prayer that Jesus himself prayed. Of course, not in English. He prayed in Aramaic. And it's a prayer that Jesus gave to us as the church and basically said, here, pray this prayer. This is a wonderful prayer as you gather together. And so most mornings what we do is we put that up on the screen and we pray it together in English. Uh, and that's a way for all of us to join together. Uh, but David's suggestion, I think, is a beautiful one. And he said, what if we put it on the screen in a couple of different languages, the primary languages, and so we can do English and Spanish and Portuguese. And we can invite people to pray the Lord's Prayer in their native language. And so each of us is sharing this prayer in the language that we think and speak and act in. And as I stand here and pray in English, I hear my neighbor pray it in Portuguese or in Spanish or in German or in French. And then we begin to see, I believe, a glimpse of what heaven looks like. The beauty of diversity, the way that we can use our tongues and our native ways to be a blessing and not a curse to our community. So we're going to try that this morning, and just as a kind of a preview of what it looks like, we have it up here on the screen, uh, and it'll look like this, and so you can follow along, and we kind of broke it off so you can even see how it is. And I'd love to challenge you, if you want to try it in another language, it's up there also. So if you would, just join with me on this experiment. Join with me in this prayer as we do in just a moment, because I believe this is one way as a community that we can live into what it looks like to use our tongue as a blessing. And I think the actions that we take on a Sunday morning 
have the ability to send us back out into the world and to find ways to use our tongue and our speech as a blessing to others, to think about others, and to speak words of life over them. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.